We all have our journeys, some long, some short, some harrowing and some easy. What kinds of songs does God think we need for our journeys? For hope, for trouble, or for joy? Join us as we learn to sing God's songs from the Psalms. As a kid, I, my front, my top front teeth were tucked behind my bottom front teeth, and so I didn't really need a full set of braces. I just needed those teeth to be pushed out. And so we had a like a combination dentist, orthodontist, and he gave me a retainer to push my teeth out. But I, then I had a bad habit, and I still have the bad habit today of uh, chewing hard candy, ice too. But you can kind of see where this is going. At the time, I, I had my retainer, and I had some kind of hard candy. And out of habit, I bit down when I heard a crunch. And the, I, the retainer, part of the retainer came off in the rest of my mouth. And at the time, I was like, I was so afraid because I was like, I can hide this for a little bit. Mom and dad aren't going to know for a little bit. The next time we go in for a checkup, he's going to see that I broke my retainer. And so I, I feel like it was a long period of time. It may have been a couple of days. It could have been a week. But I was so racked with guilt, trying to figure out how do I how do I fix this? Is there a way I can glue this thing back together? Is there a way that I can like somehow sneak this around? Finally, I went to my dad in tears, and he's like, "Look, this is what I did." That that moment, I don't know if you've had moments like that. That's as a parent now, that's kind of trivial. I mean, I mean, I could imagine getting upset about something like that, but also it's kind of trivial. But if you're like me, there have been lots of moments where there's some real thing that's happened something that we're really guilty of, something we're really ashamed of, and we're trying to figure out, how do I not tell anybody? How do I fix this? How do I manage this situation? How do I undo this so that the guilt gets put away? So that I never have to tell anybody, and this doesn't become a bigger deal. Maybe you're like me, and you've had those moments where some sin, some addiction, some habit, something... We try to figure out how do I manage my way out of this so I don't have to keep doing this guilt. Today we're going to be talking about that. That temptation that we have to try to manage guilt and shame over sin. Because we've been going on through the Psalms of Ascent, which talk about things like joy, and they do they talk about danger, and they talk about hostility, and they talk about enemies. We haven't yet gotten to a song that talks about sin in the way that you and I actually deal with the weight of sin and the temptation we have to try to excuse it away or manage our way out of it. This, this psalm, Psalm 130, hits that point that we come, whether we're children or whether we're adults. It hits that head on. So go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 130. Psalm 130 starts, A Song of Ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to, my, to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you, O Lord, should keep sins, keep a record. O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord 
more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Let's pray. God, as we open Your Word, help us to, to uncover those places in our hearts where we hold on and try to manage our way out of our sin. Lord, help us to bring that before You and learn to wait on You. In Jesus' name, Amen. This Psalm, Psalm 130 hits this point head on. Picking up the hostility that we've seen in previous chapters. Oh, when things are bad, when we call out to the Lord from the depths of despair, Psalm 130 starts there, then pivots and says, Some, the, real, the real problem that we deal with day to day is not actually an enemy outside of us. It's actually the sin that entangles us from within. So this, what I want to show you in this psalm, this call to us in our despair over sin to wait for God. In our despair over sin to lean in and wait for God. I want to show you four ways in this song that we lean into that waiting. Verses 1 through the beginning of verse 3 tell us to despair over sin. Despair over it. Verse 1, out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. From the lowest place that I've ever been, God. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. What's he talking about? If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. If you kept a record of the things that I have done wrong. This is the, the depths, that lowest place. But it's not the lowest place because somebody outside of us has wronged us. It's not the... What I love about that is that because it's not naming something outside of us, it could include me at four or five or six years old in that place going, I am trying to manage my way out of this mess that I've made. I can sing this song no matter where I've been because the sin is inside me, not outside of me. Maybe you're in retirement or close to retirement, this is a psalm that connects with us because all of us can call out from the depths of despair, not because of an attack from the outside, but because of the sin that each one of us carries with us. And so we begin to participate in this psalm. Young and old, we can participate in this song. And it shows us in these first verses that despairing over sin is normal. It's actually abnormal to not despair over sin. If we were to go through our Christian life and never get to the depths of despair over our sin, then we would have to go, something's wrong here. Repentance is a part of the journey. Despair over sin is normal. Welcome to the club. You're not alone. You're not the first person to try and figure out how to manage their way out of sin. This is God's idea. Hey, all of us on this journey, come to this place where we say, God, can you save me? God, will you listen to my voice? Because I know I have offended you. I know I have turned my back on you. That's normal. This is the normal reaction to sin. Just to say, there's nothing that I can do here except call out to God. That's what we see in 1 John that tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. The normal part of Christian life is to confess sin, to repent of it, to despair over it and say, God, look at the mess that I am. Say, God, I'm not a very good husband. God, I'm not a very good dad. God, I am, I am sinful in the words that I speak and in the thoughts that I think. God, 
I don't know about everybody else's sin, but I know how often I'm motivated by bitterness or greed or pride. or Like this is the normal thing in the Christian life. And there is something that is supposed to be comforting to us that we're invited to participate with Christians throughout the ages in saying to God, God, out of the depths I cry to you, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? And so my the invitation to you and I today is to say, God, temptation and sin, and the temptation to manage our guilt over that is both normal and to be rejected. Instead, the call to us is to sit before the Lord in waiting and saying, God, I agree with you. This is awful. God, I agree with you. This is wrong. I should not be this way. I should not do these things. God, can you save me? Sitting with a group of saints throughout the ages saying, God, can you save us? The second way that we wait for God in our despair over sin, verses 3 to 4, tell us to count on the character and actions of God. Verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What I find interesting is that this psalm kind of switches back and forth between two names for God. The the common name for God, we would say Lord, and the personal name that God gave to a, uh, I'm sorry, to Moses on the mountain, switching back and forth between Yahweh or Yah and, and Adonai, Lord. Just this constant, God, you that's revealed yourself in relationship to us, but is king over the earth, if you kept a record of the things that I did wrong, I could not stand. So then he starts pointing out to us, the very actions of God, that he doesn't sit with a book writing down and saying, can you believe this? Can you believe this? Instead, we find a God that when he forgives, he actually forgives and wipes that away. We find this character of God where there is actual forgiveness with him. The way the, the force of this is with you there is real forgiveness. Maybe with my spouse, maybe with my neighbor, maybe with the, my, the people that are around me. They can say that they forgive, but there's always this element of memory. There's always this element of hurt. But God, with you, you really put it away. God, I'm going to count on the fact that you can actually forgive, not keeping a record of my wrongs, putting it to the side. So in our despair over sin, there is this call to us to count on God's character and his actions. This is what God is really like. He doesn't keep a record of our wrongs. He is, with him, there is real forgiveness with the result that he may be feared, that we may actually walk with him. Not that we may fear God so that we don't sin, but with God there is real forgiveness so that we actually might have regard for Him, so we might fear Him, so that we may walk and represent Him in the world. It's so easy to switch that order and go, well, if I obey enough, if I do enough, if I, if I try hard enough, but this psalm, even in the Old Testament, where we can go, oh, forgiveness starts with Jesus, no, in the Psalms, it starts with forgiveness leading to righteousness, not starting with righteousness so that we can have a relationship with God. Ephesians chapter 1 points this out. Making this point, Ephesians chapter 1, it's this really long run-on sentence. In Him we have redemption 
through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is what the ages have been waiting for. This is what the saints were always looking forward to. How is God one day going to offer real forgiveness? Ephesians chapter 1 says that it's in Jesus that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Real forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. And so the invitation to you and I today is to embrace this gospel, to, to not just take it for granted that our parents, that our family, that we're being raised in the church, that doing good things in the church, serving and loving, that somehow God's going to love me because of this. The call in this is that the character and actions of God expressed by Jesus on the cross is an invitation for us to repent of our sin and trust in Christ for ourselves. So the, this, the call in this for some of us is to do that for the very first time. To say, I will take Jesus only and take real forgiveness for myself. The, the call to the rest of us in our despair over sin is to remind ourselves of this truth. This truth, the character and actions of God means real forgiveness for me. That God does not keep in his mind those things that I did years ago. God does not keep in his mind those unjust, unfair, mean, bitter actions from my past. God does not keep in his mind those egregious sins I'm embarrassed to tell my kids about. God does not keep a record of wrongs. And so you and I have got to begin to wait for God keeping in our minds, are keeping our minds set on his mind where he keeps no record of our wrongs. Embracing that truth in our despair over sin, knowing that with God there is real forgiveness for me now and for me going into the future. The third way that we, in our despair over sin, we wait for God. Verses 5 and 6 call us to lean in to the waiting. Lean into the waiting. Verse 5, I, will, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. These synonyms for hope and waiting are, are just pile up in these. It's just over and over and over. I'm waiting for the Lord. My heart is waiting for Him. Everything about me is waiting for God. It's hoping in Him. It's, it's this invitation for you and I to participate in this song when we find ourselves tempted to manage our guilt, manage our shame, manage our sin. To instead wait for the Lord. If you're like me, that can be really, really hard. There's, there's so many things to do on a day off. It's like, well, I've got a long to-do list. And all of these things that I want to accomplish, it's really, really hard for me to sit on the sofa, or to sit on the floor, to stop doing. It's really, really hard for me in my Christian walk to sometimes just sit before the Lord and wait on Him. But Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, call us to wait on the Lord, to sit there with this confident hope this is what God is like, and I'm going to count on that, and I'm going to wait for it. I'm not going to try and make it happen. I think it's interesting that the image that the psalm uses is, it, he doesn't say, my soul waits for the Lord more than a farmer waits for his crops. He doesn't say, my soul waits for the Lord more than a worker for his wages. My, uh, my soul waits for the Lord more than a builder for the building that he's building. He says, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. Because the, the watchman working through the night knows that dawn is coming. It's not optional. There's not a chance that the sun is not going to rise. And so the image here, my soul waits with a confident hope. 
that if I sit here long enough, the sun is going to rise. The, the call in this, lean in for wait, to waiting for God, inclining our hearts to Him, saying, my soul waits for the Lord and for His redemption and for His forgiveness because I know, just like I know the sun is going to rise, that the Lord has redemption for me. There's this confident, patient hope where we say, I will sit here, not hoping that something may happen, but knowing that this is going to happen. This is the posture of a Christian. So often we think, the world thinks, that the posture of a Christian is a person doing, but the posture of a Christian who is wrestling with sin is a person waiting. More than watchmen wait for the morning. It's the, it's the, kind, of, it's the kind of waiting that we see in Matthew 5 when Jesus preaches the Beatitudes and says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not blessed are those who are righteous. Blessed are those that are waiting on it. Blessed are those the poor in spirit. This, this confident hope of waiting is the actual posture of a Christian. I love that the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, ends with, come Lord Jesus. That's not a, hey, look what I'm doing, Jesus. It's a, I am sitting here waiting on you, God. This is the posture of a Christian. In our despair over sin, not to be trying to undo it, but to waiting, but to be waiting on the Lord. So the question for me and you is, are you waiting? Are you leaning in? Are you on the edge of your seat saying, God, I know that morning is coming. God, I know that redemption is coming. God, I know you've given me the Holy Spirit so that you can live your life through me. God, I know that you are going to put this guilt and shame away from me and I don't have to bear it myself. I'm going to sit here and wait. The fourth way. In our despair over sin, we wait for God. Verses 7 and 8 tell us to resolve to wait on God. To, to set our minds. This is it. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Tarry for the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. This is the call in this psalm. Everything else is a participate. Hey, join us in this. Join us in despair. Join us in the waiting. Join us in this. Verse 7 is the call. What are we going to do? O Israel, hope in the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Set your heart on the Lord. Everything else, descriptive and participatory. This is the resolution. I will hope in the Lord. Not I feel like hoping in the Lord. Not I think it's a good idea to hope in the Lord. I will hope in the Lord. What is that? But he, he then describes that resolve. Like what's underneath it? What's underneath my resolve to wait for the Lord to manage and put away my sin? For with the Lord there is steadfast love. Steadfast love is a is a uh, is a word that's hard. Your translation might say faithful love, loving kindness. It, it, it's kind, it's hard to put into like a few short words. Michael Card explains that the definition of this word it's called chesed. Kind of sounds like you got a frog in your throat when you say it. Is but with you, I'm sorry. And for with the Lord there is steadfast love. There is chesed. Chesed means when I deserve nothing and I get everything. When I deserve nothing and I get everything. And so this passage says, hope in the Lord because with the Lord, those who deserve nothing get everything. And with Him is plentiful redemption. So we're actually setting our hearts to wait on the God who is ready to pour out stuff 
on people like you and me who can't manage our sin and our guilt and our temptation. We're the ones crushed by it, and God is like, let me put that away and give you my very best. Bank on this. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. There is faithful love. There is loving kindness that you can count on. He will redeem Israel. He will ransom Israel from all his iniquities. So the call to you and me is to bank our lives on chesed, on faithful love, on the loving kindness of the Lord. Will we just throw ourselves before him and say, with the Lord, there is steadfast love. So sometimes it's going to take a lot of resolve. Sometimes it's going to take resolve, not just, hey, I fall into this, I'm going to sing this, oh, this is nice. With God, there is forgiveness, redemption. Oh, that's nice. Sometimes it's going to take us gathering ourselves, gathering all the strength that we have to bank on this, to wait for this kind of God. So the the invitation in Psalm 130, in our despair over sin, to wait for God. This is the posture of Christians who are tempted to manage guilt and sin and shame. Bank their lives on this. They're not trying to outrun it. But if you're like me, I can think of plenty of times where I'm tempted to outperform, undo, run away from. Well, if I just put myself and enough distance between me and so-and-so temptation, so-and-so sin, then maybe I'm going to be okay. You're like me. The temptation to manage sin is so incredibly great. Or to just rewrite and say, it's not that bad. God doesn't care that much about this. I know somebody who's worse than me. Where's the good news for you and for me? Who don't despair over sin, but we excuse it who don't count on the character and actions of God, but we instead count on our own activity, who instead of leaning in to wait for God and resolving to wait for God, make resolutions about never doing that again. Here's the good news for us. The good news for you and me is that Jesus had no sin to despair of, and yet He bore our sorrows and our griefs Jesus is the one who is the very character of God living out his actions in the world and yet died as a lawbreaker for you and for me so that we can count on the actions of God and know that no sin stands between us. Jesus is the one who from the cross was leaning in and waiting for his father's deliverance. So this passage becomes good news for us because we can know that Jesus waited us. This passage is good news for us and God's not marking, wow, you're not very good at waiting, are you? You're not very good at repenting of sin, are you? Those who trust in Christ have the very record of Jesus and can know that with God there is forgiveness, real forgiveness. So Psalm 130 becomes the sound of good news, refreshing news to us, setting us free to despair, but not despair to death but despair while waiting for the God who comes for us and to us and lives his life in us. So I want you to imagine with me what changes when you and I, faced with temptation, know that 
we can actually despair of the temptation, despair of the, all of the ways that we've sinned in the past, but we can lean in and wait for God, knowing that we don't have to try and manage this on our own or figure out, God, how am I going to repent well enough to make you happy? Imagine what changes when we're free to despair, wait for His great redemption, counting on the character of God, so that our days aren't piled up with how do I manage my sin? How do I, how do I manage my sin? How do I put a distance between me and shame? How do I prove that this is not true about me? Instead, our days are set free because we can wait for God and trust in His faithful, everlasting love that is new for us every morning. That sounds like a day spent in freedom. I can despair and wait for a God who loves me and who is coming for me and who has real forgiveness and loving kindness for me. And honestly, what kind of what kind of church does that create in a community? Where, where the church doesn't stand around wagging its fingers at look at how bad you guys are, but instead can enter in and say there is a God who offers real forgiveness. You do not have to manage these things somehow impressing us or impressing God. We can find real forgiveness. That's a church with real good news. Those are That's people who have real good news for their neighbors. have not left us alone to manage our own sin and our guilt. You haven't just called us to sing songs about sorrow and hope and joy, but you have also called us to sing a song of freedom from guilt and shame and sin.